0: so we all get shaped by the place we grow up. And I grew up on a decent-sized piece of land in the Hudson Valley, with a flower garden, a vegetable garden, a blackberry bush, pine trees, and a creek. And although I went to school and learned about civilization like everybody else, when I was at home, I was a child of nature. I used a forked birch tree as my secret entrance to the woods and played house in a nest of pine needles. My parents were gardeners, and they taught me many lessons about the human relationship to the earth. I remember one lesson in particular from my father. I was once digging in the garden, and I told my father that I had dirt on my hands. And my father looked up and said to me very sternly, That's not dirt, it's earth. And in that one exchange, I learned so much about what it means to respect the soil, a few inches of fertile dust that allow life to exist on this planet. My father's lesson really could have come from this parasha. Parasha bahar Bechuchotai. In this portion, which is a double portion, God commands the people that not only are they to have a Sabbath every week, but the land must also have a Sabbath. And the land's Sabbath is every seventh year. After six years of sowing and reaping in the agricultural cycle, the seventh year is to be a Shemitah, what we call in English a sabbatical year. And the people are not to plant or to reap, though they may act as gatherers, going out and picking what is on the land, but they may not harvest in any systematic way. We are a return to the state of gatherers rather than farmers. Agriculture grinds to a halt. The land rests from its role in the food production industry and presumably renews its nutrients. And it returns to its wild state, at least temporarily. And the people remember what it's like to be wanderers on the land and not owners of the land. Now, in Israel, this law is still observed uh, among observant people, but it's largely circumvented by way of legal loopholes. And this is because it is extremely difficult to observe this law. I mean, imagine a society where agriculture stops dead every seven years. It's almost impossible. So what is the Torah trying to teach us by telling us about the Shemitah year? Let me add one more piece. After seven years, not only the seven years, right, that, of, of, that there's a year of rest for the land, but after seven cycles of these seven-year seven patterns, after 49 years, the 50th year is a yovel. In English, we say a jubilee year. And this, uh, it, this is what the Torah says. The 50th year is a jubilee year. You shall not plant. You shall not sow. You shall not reap, reap the aftergrowth or harvest the untrimmed vines. It is a jubilee and it is holy to you. It's holy to you. You will eat the growth that comes from the field. And in the 50th year, each person shall return to his or her holding. So in this year, the land rests, just as in the sabbatical year. But not only does the agricultural cycle cease, but the, land, uh, the system of land ownership itself is transformed. Any land that you sold to pay a debt or to earn money for yourself, that land goes back to your tribe, that land has to return to your family. The land actually really cannot be sold; it can only be leased until the jubilee year. There's some exceptions, but they're in cities, not in a, not in a land that can be farmed. Any indentured servant that has become enslaved because of debt has to be set free, and any loan that you have has to be forgiven. The jubilee year is an immense reset button. <laughs> Economic inequalities get redressed, and the people have to return to their original tribal state on the land, their free state or their wild state, if you will. And then we get a reason for this law of the jubilee year. lo ki ki gerim atem imadi, <inaudible> The land must not be sold in any permanent way, for the land is mine, and you are wanderers and temporary residents with me. And in all the lands of your holding, you must give redemption to the land. I want to say two things about this. The first thing is that the Torah says that our natural state is as wanderers. We are to view ourselves as temporary residents on the land, which, of course, we are. Right? None, of us is, uh, none of us is eternal. Uh, but that the land is to be viewed as a resource that belongs to God, not as a commodity that belongs to us. The second thing I want to note about this is that the land requires redemption. Now, what does that mean? Now, when people require redemption, it means they've been sold into slavery or they've been sent into exile, and they are to be brought back. When the land requires redemption, it means restoration to state right, of fertility and connection to God. And how does this redemption get accomplished? The land has to be fallow. Right? It needs this period of rest, which is also a period of temporary wildness in order to be whole. And this process of re-entering that state of rest and fallowness is holy, just like the temple. The Jubilee is a massive temple in time. Right? Heschel taught that the Shabbat is a temple in time. The Jubilee is a year-long temple in time. It's a time when all space becomes sacred space that is owned by God. So there are some practical uh, implications uh, for this. I'll talk about the spiritual ones in a minute. But practically, the necessity of having fallow space on our planet cannot be overstated. I just recently read an article about a team of researchers in the Amazon, a group of students and professors from Yale University, who discovered among the many phenomenal things that exist in the Amazon, uh, an organism that eats plastic, a fungus that eats plastic. Can you think of a greater miracle than an organism that eats plastic? (laughs) Nothing eats plastic that is the point of plastic. (laughs) And yet, In the vast, unfarmed, diverse alchemical cooking pot that is the Amazon jungle, they found something that did. So what a gift, right, from the Holy One, a fungus that eats plastic. So this, plus the other plastic-eating bacteria that we're developing, could save us from drowning in our own garbage. (laughs) And so many medical and biological miracles have come from the fallow spaces in our world. Right, where hunter-gatherers still live and still live in a, in a gathering state. Right? We agriculturalists and cattle herders uh, keep cutting these places down because we think they're not useful. Right? We can't grow anything there. Right? And this is not so bright. Right? The wild spaces of the world, right? if you'll allow me for a minute to posit a, uh, a, a, a divinely or, uh, ordained natural world rather than just an evolutionary one, Right? That's where God invents, right? not where we invent. And sometimes right, God, nature, or whatever you want to call it, invents stuff that we can't invent. Right? And, this is, and this we have to respect. We have to respect the necessity of that wild process. So the rule of the sabbatical year is uh, not only a technical mitzvah. It's a reminder that letting some of the earth be free of our control is good for us. And it's what God wants. The wild spaces are a delight for God. We need them, and they might save our lives. This is also a teaching for our inner soil, right? the inner spaces that we also need to be fertile. In the ensouled bodies we've been given to walk this earth, we too need fallow time. We also need to stop our own cycles of planting and harvest of work Right? of the things that we do to keep ourselves alive and give ourselves the lives that we have, make ourselves produce, we need to give ourselves true rest. Because true rest is play. Right? That's where the creativity happens. True rest, true rest is discovering the wild self. Right? That self of dreams and visions and prayers. The self where God invents, not us and I can't help but think of the artist and author Maurice Sendak of Blessed Memory who died this week and who taught so many of us about the importance of being among wild things for a while right before we have to go home for dinner we too need to go back to our original owner and our original state right and our original owner is not our employer or our customers or even our beloved family and friends right our original uh, right, the one to whom we are responsible is the Holy Blessed One. And just like the earth, right, and just like the indentured servants of the biblical period, we need to free ourselves of the servitude of our assumptions and routines. And remember that the messy stuff inside us is not dirt, it's earth. <laughs> and earth grows things. So I want to suggest that there's also an even greater mystery in this law. The freeing of the land and its inhabitants is not only a matter of ethics, and it's not only a matter of survival, and it's not only a matter of self-discovery. It's also a matter of quantum physics. You can't own land. The topsoil of this planet is not a thing. It is a life-giving mystery permeated with water and air and life, and you can't own space. Space is full of atoms that are mostly nothing. It is an immensely potential... um, fertile emptiness. And you can't own souls. And what we call ownership and control and inheritance and commerce is really stewardship. And the Torah is teaching us that in all of our interactions with our all physical entities including the earth need to be touched by humility and by holiness. So I want to offer us one quote um, from the Kabbalistic literature from the Alter Rebbe, Reb Schneer Zalman, uh, who was the writer of the mystical work known as the Tanya. And he has a teaching that I've been thinking about ever since I heard it. And he writes that the radiance of the divine manifests its power and ability in the element of the earth immensely. More strength than even uh, the hosts of heaven. And what I take this to mean is that all things uh, emanate divine radiance, but the soil itself the physical earth, which the Kabbalists thought was the farthest thing from God, the Godhead, all, but they also say that this earth has an extra portion of the divine radiance. Why? Because all the divine energy falls into it. can't get any lower. Right? So it all falls into the earth, and that's why the earth grows things. And the author of goes on to say, this is why the earth can make something from nothing. Right? Um, it makes plants and trees from the creative power it possesses, which is an overspill from uh the divine. The earth what it, I mean, this is an extraordinary radical text in the earth is like God. Right? The earth can make space for creation to happen. You put a seed in it and it grows. And that's 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 divine. And we're all part of that sacred economy. And when we rest and when we allow the earth and us to be in that state where we can work and be fallow, where we can right be in control and when we can let go of control, we become part of that sacred economy. And um, we have that opportunity to feel the radiance that's inherent in the physical. Marcia Falk wrote in her liturgical creative translation of the Shema, the divine abounds everywhere and dwells in everything, the many are one. And this is really what my experience has been when I'm able to open to the radiance of the earth Uh, In its holiness, Um, you can lie down and you can feel it, right? You can feel that this is the planet that's holding us up, right? This is the physical body that God has given to nurture and and care for us and how beautiful that we have it and how responsible we are to take care of it. So every Shabbat morning at Romamu, guided by Rabbi Ingber, we say a healing prayer, and Rabbi Ingber always adds... Let's pray also for the earth, which also needs healing. So I pray that we come to invest that prayer with the power of our hearts and our minds and our hands. And to that prayer, I want to add one more thing. In parashat Bechukotai, near the end of this week's reading, God promises the shalom Shalomba Arts I will give peace to the land. But what it really means in the original Hebrew is I will put peace in the land. The peace is there in the soil, in its power to create and sustain, in, its, in the fact that we can't divide it up. I pray that when we encounter the soil, which is also the body and which is also the world, may we feel that power to create and sustain and not divide ourselves from one another. And when we encounter the earth, the soil, the body, and the world, may we see not dirt, but earth.